Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Abel of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Tuesday, February 18th, we're studying Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 23. Jesus has faced growing hostility from an evil and adulterous generation. Even some of his own family members have not completely understood Jesus. He responds by beginning a series of parables for his disciples. These form the third of Jesus' discourses within the Gospel of Matthew. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor James Preuss. Pastor Preuss serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Ottumwa, Iowa. Pastor Preuss, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Thank thank you. It's good to be back. Pastor Preuss, as we get started this morning, give us some context in Matthew's Gospel that will lead us into this series of Jesus parables that we have in Matthew 13. Yeah, uh, well, I think perhaps what would be interesting, what we'll be talking about uh, as far as election and and grace, is how uh, the end of the last chapter, Jesus' mother and brothers are standing outside. So Jesus, a crowd has gathered around him, they're they're speaking to him, and... uh, it's a different episode than what we have in chapter 13. It's a different day. But the, his mother and brothers come, and then Jesus says, well, who are my mother and brothers but those who, you know, uh, who do the will of my Father who is in heaven? And other, trans, and other uh, uh, gospels will record that as whoever hears the word of my, of my Father and does it, or whoever uh, you know, believes the, word of the, the words of my Father, uh, or some variation of that. So... Uh, you have that relationship of of the Word of God and hearing it, doing it, is what actually makes you uh, have that relationship with God. And now with this, you have this series of parables. And what you learn about the parables is the parables are only understood by those who have that relationship with God, who are given that relationship uh, with God. Um, so I guess that's what I would uh, uh, start out with, I guess, with, with the context of like, why did Matthew uh, record it the way that he did. Um, these, these parables are the, the, for the purpose of why he, he, he gives the parables, and uh, yeah, I guess that's, <laughs> that's what I have so far. So Sure. Well, and, and to maybe, I don't know, to, to use that, Jesus says to be in his family— is to to hear the word of God, to believe it, to do it, right? And so now he, it's like he starts telling family stories. Perhaps is, is maybe one way to think about it. And I don't know, maybe that's going too far. But you know, I'm sure that the Preusses have a set of stories that you share among among the brothers, among your family. And if I were to be listening in on that conversation, it probably wouldn't do me much good because there's lots of inside information that I just don't have. Whereas all of you, this is going to to strengthen your family bond. And, and the same would be true if, if I'm gathered with my family and we're telling a bunch of, of Apple stories, then then the Preuss is listening and maybe wouldn't, like, well, that sounds like a great story, but I, I just don't get it, right? Is, is, that, I don't, is that a fair way of, of thinking about it, Pastor Preuss? What do you think? Yeah, I, I suppose so. I mean, uh, I think so. With the parables, I don't know if it's so much that parables are impossible to understand. It, it's kind of funny how we talk about parables, because... Some people will, will automatically say, well, parables are a teaching tool, so they help clarify. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus doesn't say that they clarify. In fact, uh, often he'll say that parables hide. So then others will say, well, parables aren't supposed to clarify. They're supposed to hide. But they don't only hide. Otherwise, that would be kind of a silly thing for Jesus to do, to only be hiding the truth. And it's not really teaching if all he's doing is hiding. Uh, so the way Jesus says it, it uh, it's that for those who have, more will be given to them. And to those who have not, even what they uh, think they have will be taken away. And that's what the parables do with those who have faith and those who are given understanding. If you have 
faith in Christ, if you desire to hear the Word of God and keep it and actually grow in learning it, parables can be tremendously helpful uh, in understanding the faith better. Um, it doesn't mean that you necessarily are smarter in the sense that you're able to, to break it down better. Uh, you'll see that Jesus has to do that for his disciples and give them further instruction. But they receive that instruction. They ask, what do you mean by this? And he explains it. <clears throat> Whereas those who have no faith, they have no fear of God. They have no desire to actually submit themselves to God's word and have the word of God work in their hearts and in their ears. Uh, the parables just become more frustrating. Uh, so it's uh, kind of the reason he, he tells the parables is to really to teach about grace, uh, about those who have been received into the family. So I guess, yeah, what your analogy probably does work well. Um, a family story might strengthen the bonds of those in the family, and it might make an outsider feel even more outside because he doesn't get it. Um, the other day, I, we were having a, a birthday party for my son, and I had a, a parishioner, a, a family come over, and my brother uh, and his kids came over, and... Uh, so I was talking to my brother about rectilinear and uh, typological prophecy, and um, that was well, anyway, that's the conversation. And then my parishioner came over, really bright guy, smart guy, and he was just kind of sitting there looking at us as we were going back and forth. And it was one of those things where we were in the middle of the conversation, so we were trying to wrap it up so that we could switch to the other one. And it was just it was just funny because he had no idea what we were talking about because of the the, the jargon that we were using and such. So we ended that conversation and moved on to one where we could all uh, participate in uh, more fluently. Uh, so I think that's what it is. Yeah, it's, it's frustrating when you feel like you're an out outsider. And I think that's what these parables do to those who, who already have closed their hearts to the Word of God. I'm going to go ahead and read the text for us, Pastor Preuss, because some of the things we're bringing out are already are in here. And so just as, as a heads up, the way that this text is, is laid out, Jesus is going to tell a parable. His disciples are going to come and ask him about parables in general, and he's going to give an answer. And then he's going to explain the parable that we that we heard. And so as we take this text, we'll start with that middle section, which we've already started to talk about before we dig into the particular parable that Jesus has. So to hear the text then, this is Matthew chapter 13 beginning at verse 1. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came to him and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Or to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, 
But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in the one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. That's the text for today, Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 23. So Pastor Preuss, that middle section, before we look at the parable of the sower, as it's usually called in its explanation, that middle section, the disciples come and ask Jesus, why do you speak to them in parables? And you you mentioned this earlier in your introduction. You talked about God's election. What... What does election have to do with parables and, and Jesus' answer here? Yeah, uh, well, election is the teaching that God, before the foundation of the world, chose uh, those who will be saved to be saved. Uh, so the reason why you have faith, uh, it's part of the doctrine of grace. The reason why you, we have faith is because God has given us this faith. And God chose to give, give us this faith. He chose to give us this understanding uh, from before the foundation of the world. Uh, there are a number of places in Scripture that uh, explicitly uh, articulate that. Uh, one of those is in Ephesians chapter 1, uh, where he says that he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Uh, so this election means that uh, no one can be saved unless he is elect because we are, by nature, sinful and unclean. Uh, in Adam's fall, all mankind fell. So we are incapable of having true faith. Uh, in Ephesians 2, it says that we were dead in our trespasses, like the rest of mankind. So uh, unless God saves you by grace, as he says in Ephesians 2, uh, you cannot come to life, and you cannot believe in God. Uh, the natural person cannot understand the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, uh, and uh, they are spiritually discerned from First uh, uh, Corinthians chapter 2. So uh, St. Paul writes about this quite a bit. Uh, Jesus writes about, uh, speaks about it in, in John chapter 6, and nobody can come to the Father, and nobody can come to him lest the Father draws him. So uh, Faith is a gift from God. The understanding of God's Word is a gift from God. So these parables, it's not so much, I don't think, that the parables are uh, simply the tool used to hide it, to hide the truth. Uh, I think that you can have, um, that you could have an intelligent unbeliever be able to have a pretty good crack at getting what Jesus is saying with, with some of these parables. Uh, and, a, and it's just in a very superficial way, and it's very, in a very just, you know, well, this connects with this, you know, doing word studies and stuff, and it has nothing really to do with faith. But I think rather the, the purpose of using the parables is to show how God uh, reveals as a gift the faith and how those who do, do not understand how it's hidden from them. Because although it's in language that they can hear, they, can, they understand the sentences, they understand the words and the syntax and all that, uh, but they do not understand the meaning. And that's what it is for the gospel to those who have rejected it. Uh, they understand the words. Uh, it's not, it's not a, a difficulty in communication, but they don't understand it because they have not been uh, made alive by the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's a very difficult uh, teaching to, to confess because it, it is very offensive to many people. Uh, we believe the Holy Spirit creates faith where and when he wills. Uh, it also conflicts with our, it conflicts with our human nature, with our, with our pride, and it also conflicts with our reason. It conflicts with our pride because we want to think that we can at least save ourselves by understanding the gospel. And the reason why I'm saved is because I listened and I uh, understood the gospel. Uh, when that's not actually really the way it works, the way it works is God opened your, uh, your ears and your heart and gave this, this to you by, uh, by a gift. So that's how it uh, hurts your pride. It hurts your... 
uh, it conflicts with your reason because now we start to wonder, well, then why didn't God just cause everyone to believe? And if God chose this select elect to be saved, uh, that must mean that he chose the others from before the foundation of the world to go to hell. And we reject that teaching. That's uh, a Calvinist position. Uh, it's called double predestination. We reject that, that teaching because it's not taught in Scripture. Scripture clearly teaches that God desires all people to come to the knowledge of the truth and to be saved. Uh, God sent Jesus to die for all people. His revealed will is that he desires all people to be saved. That some aren't saved is part of his hidden will. Uh, so this is I mean, it's a huge topic. Uh, it's a controversial topic. Uh, it's a topic that only Lutherans have right, uh, to, to be frank. Uh, the Protestants usually go two uh, radical ways with this. One is to say that God chooses some to go to heaven and some to go to hell, and that's God's prerogative, and, and that, that's the end of it. Uh, and others will say, well, God desires all to be saved, but it's up to us to make this decision for him, which Jesus is clearly teaching is impossible in this parable, and that's to, it's given to those to believe. Uh, and we uh, take the, the scriptural uh, uh, teaching, which is humiliating to our pride and to our reason, and say, well, God chooses uh, those to be saved, and uh, it's uh, whoever does not believe, it's their own fault. We don't blame God uh, the, for, for the unbelief of those who reject the gospel. You mentioned that only Lutherans get this right, and I think I, I, what I was hearing you say was was a that Calvinists on the one hand would get it wrong in double predestination. Those who would who would put the free will into it, maybe what we would call Arminianism, that there's somehow my choice or my free will is involved in it would get it wrong. What about what about the Roman Catholics? How do how do they miss this? Uh-huh, yeah, that's a um, that's a. a, a I guess it's kind of tough because of how uh, Roman Catholics so, are so broad in, in, in certain ways, <laughs> but I don't want to say something wrong. Like, I have read on this in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, but um, the, we, we call the Roman Catholics um, semi-Pelagians. Um, and so Pelagius believed in absolute free will, and, uh, uh, which is condemned by both the Roman Catholics and by the Lutherans. A, a Pelagius, fifth century heretic, uh, and uh, we call the Roman Catholic semi-Pelagians because they do say that it's not one hundred. Sometimes they say it's not one hundred percent free will. They, they they say that you can't uh, you can't come to come to God without His grace. So He has to give you give you grace. Uh, I, I guess probably the most helpful phrase. Or, or sentence to explain the Roman Catholics' view on this would be a quote from Gabriel Beale, uh, who is a very uh, influential uh, uh, teacher in the Roman Catholic Church, who wrote on the sentences. He had a, he had a, a, a phrase: uh, "If you do what in you lies, God will not deny grace." Uh, so what that means is you do your very best, and then God will reward you for that. And that's what Martin Luther was was writing against. So the Roman Catholics they're not uh, they're not double predestinationists, um, and they they uh, they do teach on this you know this free will, but you have to be careful uh, because when you're talking with the Roman Catholic, because uh, if you say the wrong thing, they'll like you know they'll say oh gotcha, um, <clears throat> because they'll <clears throat> They, they define terms differently than, than we do. So they deny the label semi-Pelagian, and Lutherans call them that. Uh, they, would, they would say that, uh, well, you can't believe without God giving you grace, but then they define grace differently. Uh, grace isn't you know, God's undeserved love where he, just, he, he gives you faith as a pure gift, but rather it's the infusion of a habit. Um, so I guess... They would probably be closer to the to the Armenians, the the free will, um, but they're not they're not full on Pelagians. They they do think that the Holy Spirit has a role a role in this, but uh, it's definitely you working with the Holy Spirit. I appreciate you taking that that 
slight detour from from the text here in Matthew 13 to to just widen our our eyes to to open those eyes so that we would see what's out there and and help us appreciate the the truth that we've been given here in Christ in Matthew 13. So so Jesus here as he's talking about the purpose of the parables that they are both revealing they're hiding that that the revealing that happens is totally by grace. He particularly singles out his disciples, those who are, who are coming to him asking about these parables, and, and he declares them, we give a beatitude in verses 16 and 17. Why is it that the disciples are particularly blessed here? Well, the disciples are blessed, and it's a great, there's the same uh, word that he uses uh, in the Sermon on the Mount with the, with the beatitudes. Uh, where he says, makareoi, um, and uh, I think I think that is a word that has to do with grace. Uh, God is making you blessed, and they're particularly blessed because they are standing before the one that all the prophets desire to see. It's really cool. Uh, Jesus just quoted the prophet Isaiah from uh, chapter six, and uh, when you look at the context of it, this is right after Isaiah literally saw God on the throne with the seraphim. Uh, flying around him, and yet Jesus says to the disciples, "Blessed are your eyes, uh, for many prophets desire to see what you see." And uh, right after he quotes the the prophet, what he what what God told him to say immediately after. So Isaiah six starts out with Isaiah saw God, you know, on his throne, and then immediately after that, God says, "You know, whom should I send?" And Isaiah says, "Send me." And he said, what should I say? He says, you shall say, and then he quotes what, what Jesus just said. You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. Um, and uh, and this is, what is this saying is that all the prophets prophesy about Jesus. The disciples see a greater vision of God, of the Lord, than Isaiah, who saw God sitting on his throne with seraphim flying around and with uh, smoke filling the temple because they see God in the flesh who is, is fulfilling the promise that he had spoken through all of these prophets uh, to come and to take our load and to die for our, our sins. So in that sense, these disciples have seen uh, and heard something much greater than any of the prophets have, have heard or seen, including Isaiah, who saw God himself, including Abraham who spoke to God like he was, uh, and Moses who spoke to God as a friend, as one speaks to a friend. Um, And then also for us, too. Now, granted, I mean, I guess you can make the argument Isaiah saw God on, you know, on on his throne. Abraham uh, spoke to God, and and we don't have those type of visions. But we have something more sure of the prophetic word to which you do well to, to pay attention to, the light shining in a dark place. Uh, we have the revealed full gospel. Uh, the, the gift we have in the New Testament uh, it should not be underestimated. That we have the full gospel um, uh, is, uh, means that we are blessed. We know what the whole Old Testament felt better than um, anyone in the Old Testament knew. Uh, because we have the gospels and we have the, uh, the apostles' epistles. Uh, we know that Jesus Christ has come, that God's promises have been fulfilled. So we should, we should include ourselves in that makara oi. We are the blessed ones because we have seen and heard and have believed. And, and what, I mean, as you're saying that, for us still today, at the end of John's Gospel, you've got another beatitude. I don't know if it's Makarios or not, but it, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So that the the blessing, I mean, can we connect those two, do you think, Pastor Preuss? Oh, certainly, certainly. And I think that's what this whole parable is about, too. I, and that's why I extend the, the, the blessing uh, to us and not just to the disciples, because... Uh, I mean, you have to point out that the disciples are actually with the God-man, Jesus Christ, and they see him. I mean, the, the, what they got is more um, intense than what, we, than what we get. I mean, you have to admit that. I mean, they actually saw the risen Lord where we, you know, we see bread and wine, and, and our faith believes uh, that it is Christ's body and blood. Uh, but uh, the, the whole talk about the parables 
are only understood. It means that the Word of God is only understood by those who are given the faith. I, th- I think uh, this whole talk about parables and why he teaches in parables very much is saying the same thing of what, of what Jesus said to Thomas uh, when he said, have you seen me, have you, do, have you believed me because you've seen, blessed are those who have not seen yet have believed. Uh, I think that's very much what Jesus is saying in these parables. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on Worldwide KFUO. We're looking at the first part of Matthew chapter 13, the long series of Jesus' parables here in the Gospel. We're going to take a short break, but we'll be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron on this Tuesday, February 18th, as we study Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 23, with Pastor James Preuss of Trinity Lutheran Church in Ottumwa, Iowa. Pastor Preuss, prior to the break, we were looking at the purpose of the parables as Jesus lays it out there in that middle section of the text. On either side of it, the the first part, Jesus gets into the boat, and he he tells, he begins this long string of parables, right? And he tells what is commonly called the parable of the sower. He explains it then on the other side of of the disciples' question and and his answer concerning the purpose of the the parables. Give us an introduction to this this parable. Help us to begin to to dig into it. Uh, Well, what's cool about this parable is it seems that uh, we we understand that he's told he tells many other parables that aren't are, are are not mentioned here, but the, the first parable that he tells seems to be Jesus saying in a parable what's going on. So he's being pressed up by this this crowd. He has to go or he, so he goes to the sea and he has to get into a boat just so that they don't push him into the sea. And he's out in a boat uh, and 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 preaching, and they're out in the. Uh, uh, on, on the shore is a great big crowd. And uh, I, always, I, I often think about the people who come to hear Jesus. Uh, like, what are they thinking, and why are they coming to hear him? And, uh, I mean, it, it's... I don't like to think of anyone coming and hearing the Word of God and not being a Christian. I mean, you, you'd like to think that everyone who comes to church comes because they have uh, a firm faith in, in, in Jesus Christ. But we also know that people come and hear the Word of God for all sorts of different reasons. So you have these people come, and Jesus tells this parable about uh, a sower spreading seed, and the seed is the Word of God. Uh, this parable is, re- is recorded both in Mark's Gospel and in Luke's Gospel, and in both of those Gospels, it, uh, Jesus clearly says that the Word, that, that he sows the Word. Uh, and he talks about how the Word doesn't have the same effect on everyone. So it's as if you can kind of just see Jesus throwing seeds into the people's ears, and uh, it doesn't have the same effect everywhere it lands. So that's why I think it's kind of neat that this is the first parable. Uh, He's preaching the Word of God, and he tells a story about what his preaching is like. He knows that not everyone everyone who is hearing this is going to have the same effect. Some are going to leave having had the devil snatch the word out of their hearts immediately, um, and we see examples of that uh, with with people going up to him and demanding uh, bread and, and questioning him, uh, as in John 6. Um, we know that some will believe for a while, but then when they have persecution, they will fall away. And we know that some <clears throat> might believe for a while, uh, but then they, you know, they just can't handle... Uh, losing everything. The cost of discipleship is, is too high, uh, and uh, they, they care more about the riches of the world. And then you have those few who do, you know, leave everything and, and follow Jesus. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a neat thing, because Jesus is like no other preacher in the world. He knows exactly what is happening as he preaches the words. Hmm. And, and so 
the the picture then, Jesus knows what's happening. He knows that as he scatters the seed, that I mean, just to, to be simple, right? Three quarters of the soil, it's not going to grow and bear fruit. One quarter it is, which is not typically the way I think that most most farmers work. I know it's not the way that I work. I'm, I'm, I've currently got uh, seedlings growing inside my house to transplant outside later. And when I planted those, I was very careful with where I put the seeds so that they would grow and bear fruit later. But Jesus, in the parable, the sower doesn't do that. What's the significance of that? Yeah, well, it's very significant. It has to do with what we were talking about before, uh, with uh, God's revealed will and his hidden will. Uh, when we say that God has elected some before the foundation of the world, we're not saying that God does not desire all people to be saved. And the fact that he throws the seed, even in places where he knows it will not sprout, shows his fervent desire that all people hear and believe. Because um, you're right, you, this is not the way... Parables are... Uh, Parables are not Jesus saying, well, the kingdom of God is just like the way a farmer does this. And you'll notice that, um, with, like, for example, the, um, the parable of the, the, the laborers in the vineyard and how he pays the ones who work one hour the same as he pays one who works 12. Well, Jesus isn't saying, oh, well, the kingdom of he- uh, heaven is just like a vineyard. Well, no, because he describes a scenario in a vineyard that is unlike any other scenario in any vineyard anyone's ever heard of. No one's ever done that. And it's the same thing here. He's not saying, well, the Word of God is just like a sower. Well, no, the word of, uh, or the kingdom of heaven is just like a sower. No, the kingdom of heaven is, is not like a sower very much at all, because a sower only sows seed in, in ground that he has already uh, prepared. Seed's expensive. I know this because I hear commercials for it. And they wouldn't be having this many commercials for it. Uh, I'm in Iowa, so I hear those. But uh, and they talk about the best seed. You know, this is the seed that's going to give you the best yield. That's what uh, these farmers are concerned about. And they're going to buy the best seed they can, and they're going to make sure that their uh, soil is prepared as possible, so that, that uh, they don't waste any of it. And they're not going to sow seed in a place where they think that it's not going to grow, because that would waste money. Well, God waste—I uh, don't say waste money, but God you know, suffers the loss, I'll say. Uh, and he sows even where he, he knows that it's not going to grow because he desires, uh, he desires to save them. And, uh, and that's what we say to, when the Calvinists say that, well, God only desires to save a select few. Uh, we don't believe that, and neither does Jesus. Mm. Uh, Martin Franzman, in his hymn, Preach you the word. It's number 586 in the Lutheran service book. The third stanza goes like this. The sower sows his reckless love. Maybe that's the word rather than wasteful. His reckless love scatters abroad the goodly seed intent alone that all may have the wholesome loaves that all men need. I think that's a, a good summary of, of what you what you just said, that, that this is a this part of the parable, that the seed is scattered everywhere, reminds us that God doesn't does truly desire the salvation of all, and so he sows the seed everywhere. Of course, the reality of the parable is that not all will believe, and the first three soils that Jesus described are are three hearers that that don't believe for different reasons. Take us into those those hearers that don't believe, and and what's going on in each case, Pastor Preuss. Right, uh, and this is very much what, what Martin Luther talks about in uh, the Small Catechism for lead us out of temptation. Uh, that God tempts no one, but we pray in this petition that uh, God would guard and keep us so that the devil, the world, and our sinful nature, our sinful flesh, uh, would not deceive us or mislead us into false belief, despair, and other great shame and vice. Uh, it is, uh, you know, deception and shame and, and, and vice that leads us away from, from true faith. And the three sources of this temptation and this, this uh, stumbling from the faith is the devil, the world, and our sinful flesh. Now those are, I mean, you look at your catechism, if you have the, the synodical one with the explanations, and you'll see a bunch of Bible passages uh, pointing to the different examples of the devil, the different examples of the world, and the different examples of the sinful flesh. And this parable does a good job of just having all three there. Uh, the, and he names them. The, the, the birds are the devil who come and snatch away the word of God before it even 
uh, does any good. Um, so you could think about just the, the radical skeptics, the scoffers, the ones who uh, not for a moment do they believe the Word of God or pay any attention to it. Um, the other is the, uh, the next one is the, the, uh, the sinful flesh. Um, and this is uh, this temptation, the, uh, the persecution. So they, they, they accept it immediately, they're happy, they're joyful to be, be Christians, but then they're not actually able to bear the cost. When the sun comes out, it gets too hot. So once the pressure rises, well, then they, it really shows how strong their faith is, and it's not strong, and it, and it, it withers away. Um, and, and this is what we, we see a lot in this world, um, that people can't handle the persecution, uh, the hatred, uh, more and more church bodies are bending to the pressure of the ungodly world. Uh, it's, it's something that I think few could, could have foreseen uh, a, a couple decades ago, but all of these churches that now accept homosexuality as something that's just good and acceptable, even though the Bible is so abundantly clear that this is displeasing to God and that it is harmful and wicked. And then Christians who say, well, we still believe what the Bible says, are called hateful because we follow the God of love who desires all people to repent of their sins and to be saved. And the reason why I bring this up is, it has to do with, uh, well, I mean, it's, I guess it's always relevant uh, these days. But um, I went to Concordia Lutheran Theological Seminary in St. Catharines, Ontario, in Canada, actually. And uh, when I first got there, there was a guy who's a pastor from Finland, and he uh, he did a sabbatical, and he came to our seminary uh, while he's working on his PhD or his PhD. Uh, well, anyway, I just found out recently he's a, he's now the the bishop of uh, the uh, mission diocese, or he's a what's he's a, uh, the dean of the diocese uh, for the what we're in fellowship with in, in Finland. So their state church, their Lutheran church, is not in fellowship with us because they don't uh, hold to the Word of God. Well, anyway, he is go- he's being investigated by the police because he wrote an article for their journal on homosexuality and how it does not, uh, that it contradicts God's intention for man and woman and, and how he created them. Uh, now, you, you just kind of think about that. So this, he, he's a very brave man, a man who knew the, the uh, uh, his name is Johanna Pochila, and he, he's a, a brave man who knew the cost and maybe he didn't know he was going to be investigated by the police, but he had to have known that was a possibility uh, because he lives in Finland and he knows how their actions are. And you have a state church that's completely rejected the Word of God and doesn't care, and it has bent to the pressure of the ungodly. And then here you have a guy who is, you know, he's bearing that cross of confessing Christ. Uh, and uh, and that's that, that, that uh, good soil. Uh, and then you have the you have the world, and I think this is another one that's probably the most destructive in our congregations. The pleasures, the fleeting pleasures of this life, the deceitfulness of riches. And then you have some kid that he just confirmed he doesn't come to church. And I go, why is he in church? And he's at some sport, sporting event. And you just think, oh, golly, really? He's at some sporting event because that's more important than hearing the word of God? That's exactly what this parable is about. Uh, it's a deceitfulness of riches and pleasures. There's nothing that you're doing, whether it's a sporting event or working or going on vacation, fishing, whatever it is, that's more valuable than hearing the Word of God. Yeah, Christians are doing all the time. We're rich, we're fat, we're spoiled, and uh, we come up with all sorts of excuses instead of hearing the Word, uh, instead of hearing the word of God. So on the one hand, there's this pressure and you think about people where it's illegal to go to church, and they're like, oh, well, I just can't handle it, and that's that seed. And you have the other seed where it's like, yeah, nobody cares if you go to church, and then they still can't handle it because, well, there's so many other distractions. And I guess what I would also say about all of this, this doesn't necessarily mean that, well, some are going to be devoured by the bird, by the Satan. Others are going to fall because of the weakness of their flesh, and others are going to fall because of the pressure of the world or the riches of the world. Uh, we're attacked by all three. So just because we believe that we're 
intellect because they have faith in Jesus Christ doesn't mean that I don't have to worry about the the uh, the devil coming and snatching the word of God out of my heart like the birds snatch up seed from, from a road. And it doesn't mean that I don't have to worry about the weakness of my sinful flesh. I mean, Jesus said to Peter himself, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And it doesn't mean that I don't need to be concerned about the temptations of the world. All of us have to be concerned about all three of these. This, is, this uh, parable is very much a warning against these. Uh, and uh, he's in, Jesus is not saying that uh, you will only get one of these four soils uh, in you. What about that fourth soil, then, the good soil? <laughs> this is this is where I, I think what we were saying earlier about election and grace just becomes very um, offensive, because, well, surely there's something that I can do to make myself the good soil, right or wrong? <laughs> yeah, well, that's a very good question, because um, it can... It can induce pride. Uh, people think, well, I, the reason why I believe is because I'm better. I'm better soil. Uh, well, you're only better soil by grace. And what we also realize is that God does stuff to make that soil good. Uh, and uh, he, you know, when you have soil, like I'm, I, I have a garden, um, and my garden is not as good as my next-door neighbor's garden. I have a next-door neighbor, he's retired, and he spends more hours uh, a day in the summer working in his garden than I do being a pastor. It is, he's always out there. He's out there like before the sun comes up, and he's out there until the sun goes down, constantly working in his garden. His garden is awesome, fantastic. Mine is, you know, it's okay. Uh, and it's because I don't work it as hard. I don't pull as many weeds. I don't, I don't have a, you know, a really nice... Or those things called the tiller. Um, so you have to do a lot of work on soil to make to prepare it and make it good. And God actually does do that work, uh, and He does it through the preaching of His Word. He does it through the preaching of the law. He also does it by laying crosses on us uh, that bend us and 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 and, and break us sometimes, uh, so that we don't follow the course of this world, so that we don't uh, follow the. The, the desires of our sinful flesh. Sometimes it's good that you get rebuked. Sometimes it's good that you suffer a temporary uh, punishment for the salvation of your soul. Uh, I mean, St. Paul even talks about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, when he says, you know, deliver this man over uh, to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his soul might be saved in the last day. So uh, good soil needs work. And it's not work on our end that, in the sense that, you know, by you preparing yourself, you are going to make yourself more likely to be, uh, to be saved. But rather, it's God doing the work to prepare you. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm being very careful to teach monergism, meaning that God is the only one working. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't put us to work. Uh, Jesus is warning us. Uh, and there are ways for us Christians to prepare ourselves for the Word of God, um, and, w- at, and at the same time saying that like, all glory to God and God is the one who's actually doing it, meaning fleeing from these sins, recognizing the dangers of, of uh, you know, sexual lusts or greed or covetousness, pride, things that would uh, draw us away from God's Word, uh, fitting in with the crowd, uh, being too smart for the Word of God and thinking that you have greater knowledge uh, in your brain than God does in His Holy Scripture. Um, so there, there are things that, uh, that God does to us and that we should be aware of so that we are good soil, to root out uh, the bad soil. And so when the seed falls on this good soil, prepared, made good by the Word of God, by the crosses, by the, the preparations he has made, here's the fruit, which, which seems to be the goal, that the fruit would, would come about. What, take us into that, Pastor Preuss. Yeah, uh, the fruit, it's kind of an interesting thing. I, th- I think you can probably go, Jesus mentions this a number of times. He talks about fruit, you know, some 100-fold, some 60, some 30, and you know, on earth. Like, what does this mean? Um, and I, I think it has to, do, again, do with, with grace, and that God is the one who determines it. 
you know, Paul says, you know, I planted, Paul's watered, but God gave the growth. Um, but it, it has to do with uh, the, I, like Isaiah 55, where he says, where God says that his word does not return empty. It just says the water, like the rain and the, the snow that waters the earth does not return to God empty, but it, uh, you know, but it causes the seed to grow and giving uh, bread to the, or seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So that's his word that comes forth from his mouth that it produces. Uh, so believing in the power of God's word, how, are my, how am I going to, what can I do so that my children will remain in the true Christian faith? If it's just the election, well, then pray that God elected them. Is that what we do? Well, I hope that God, before the foundation of the world, chose my children to be Christians. Well, no, that's not what God says. He says the word produces fruit. The seed produces fruit. Speak the word of God to your children. Take them to church. Have devotions with them at home. Pray with them. Tell them the difference between law and gospel so that they don't get confused. Tell them uh, uh, about uh, the, to, to treasure the gospel of Jesus Christ, that their sins are washed away in his blood, as they're saved by grace through faith in him alone. Now, this is what is producing the fruit. Uh, and uh, is it the fruit of faith? Is it how many people are going to be saved? I mean, I think you can, you can talk about different things there. Um, and uh, maybe some will have a better answer than I do on, on what exactly is the fruit, whether it is you know, the fruits of love that Christians produce or it's how many people are saved. But what we do know is that God's Word does produce that fruit. It produces the fruit of saved people, people who are, believe in Jesus Christ, and it also produces the fruit of doing works of love, and it's done through the Word. So the sower isn't being uh, foolish by sowing the seed. And we, if we want to be wise, we should have that seed sown, and we should sow the seed, and we should go where that seed is being sown. Go to church, hear the Word of God, pay attention to it, believe it, uh, hear and, and read it at home, and grow in the Word of God, because that is the only way that you and your family and your loved ones uh, can have faith and grow in faith, is, is through the Word of God. Uh, faith comes by hearing, and hearing through the Word of Christ. What about the way Jesus closes the parable as he tells it in verse 9? He who has ears, let him hear. That, Jesus does that in a couple places. What, what does that conclusion to the parable mean? Well, I think it has very much to what I was just saying. Um, Jesus isn't teaching us to be complacent. Uh, this parable isn't just simply saying, oh, well, some are chosen, some are not, so nothing you can do about that. Uh, or you can't just say, well, I think I'm elect. So I don't, like I've been told, oh, I don't, uh, but I, don't, I didn't think I needed to go to church because I already have faith. Uh, no. Uh, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Uh, how do I know if I'm elect? That's a question people ask. How do I know? Listen. Listen. And, and, and do you hear? And do you believe? That's how you know that you're elect. I know that I was chosen by God for the foundation of the world, not because I'm full of myself, but because I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and that I'm going to go to heaven by his merits and not mine. That's how I know that I was chosen, is through this faith, uh, through faith in, in the gospel. So he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Uh, listen. Hear the word of God. This is the only way that you will know that you're elect. It's the only way that you will know your Savior. It's the only way to have saving faith is by hearing. Or I guess if you're deaf, by looking. Uh, and my, my grandparents were on my mom's side for death, so I, I think about that every once in a while. Like, I don't want to leave them out, but if, if you can't hear, but it's, it's through the Word. That's the point. Pastor Price, with just about three minutes left here on the morning, any concluding thoughts, any points we missed? Summarize the morning for us. Well, uh, I don't know how many, I'll probably think of something after we, we get off the phone, and I'll think of some things that we missed, but I guess the just the, the summarizing is that the teaching of election and grace is not a teaching that we should run away from or be embarrassed about uh, or be, be scared of. Uh, it's a wonderful teaching. It gives you assurance. Uh, I think people are very happy with the, uh, 
when they hear the verse from John chapter 10, where Jesus says, you know, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, they follow me, I give them eternal life, and no one will snatch them out of my hands. For my Father, who is greater than I, has given them to me, and no one will snatch them out of the Father's hands. That's such a wonderful, comforting verse, isn't it? To know that no one will snatch you out of your Heavenly Father's hands. Uh, I remember uh, being on vicarage and, and watching the pastor talk to someone uh, at a deathbed and saying, your loved one is in the, our Heavenly Father's hands. That's the safest place for him to be, and I've, I've used that line in my own ministry. Uh, uh, that's a wonderful comfort. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about election by grace, is being certain that I believe this gospel, and I believe not only do I believe it, but I believe that God wants me to believe it, and he's going to keep me in this faith. And the way I know that I'll, I'll continue in this faith is by continuing to hear the word of God. And that would be the other thing. You cannot separate the teaching of grace from the use of the gospel. You're not elect just arbitrarily or based on your own God liking you personally better than others. You are chosen in Christ. And that means and it's done through means. And the, that means is the word of God. No one comes to faith apart from the words of Christ, the gospel, of the free forgiveness of sins uh, through Jesus, Jesus Christ alone. Pastor James Preuss is the pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Ottumwa, Iowa, helping us this morning with Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 23. Pastor Preuss, thank you for your time today. Hey, thank you so much. God has chosen you by His grace, His grace that is revealed in Jesus Christ as He reveals Himself to you in His Word, His Word that enters into your ear, that creates good soil and bears fruit, the fruit of faith in you that you would trust in Christ. And in that way, God has chosen you to be His own. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.